Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media, and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Jason Berger. Jason um, is a man of many talents. He uh, Right now, he runs um, a CrossFit company, uh, Dreamtown CrossFit. He is a U4 navigator for Jason Shear, and then also in the UTV class with Shannon Campbell and done some other navigating. He has uh, been a rock crawling competitor way back in the day. He has been a spotter for a number of teams, and he used to run a an event called the Disabled Sports Run, which I really want to get into. But um, Jason, it is so good to have you on board. The other thing I want to tell everybody is that everybody that I've ever talked to about Jason says Jason Berger is a confirmed badass. And we'll get into that. It's all the CrossFit and his conditioning and just his state of mind. So Jason, so good to talk to you. And uh, it's been a while. Wow, Rich, uh, it has. That was quite an introduction. I'm not sure about that badass part, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> I swear, that. everybody I've I, talked to has said that, though. <laughs> well, that's a really awesome, uh, nice, um, you know, very flattering introduction. Thank you very much. And it's it's great to hear from you. Great to talk to you. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We've uh, We've not had a chance to catch up in a lot of years, so it'll be good to do that. So absolutely. Let's uh let's get started with the basic first easy question and where were you born and raised? Um so I was born in Oakland, California and um then my parents moved to Lake Tahoe when I was 2 years old and I've pretty much been here in that area since then. Okay, so you don't really remember at 2 you don't remember much of Oakland obviously. Nope. <laughs> um and and you're up in in the North Lake area Tahoe? Uh, actually, I live in Truckee, which is okay. just outside of uh, basically on the way to Lake Tahoe. Yep, just off the eighty. Excellent. Yeah. And so, what was it like growing up there? I mean, that's that's like a just a outdoors playground. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just like I think for anybody where they grow up, you don't 
really recognize where you grew up and how special it was until you get older. And uh, especially when you have, you know, we've, we've had a, a son and raising him in this area. And yeah, it was phenomenal. I, I don't know any different. I've just been here the entire time and I go other places and, and just nothing really compares to my hometown. Right. Except for maybe the tourists. That's, well, <laughs> that's a give and take, you know, you got to have that to, you know, sometimes uh, keep the lifestyle. You do. And that's what keeps us going up here. And I think that, uh, I think this is probably for everybody, you know, you, you get a little bit older and your perspective changes. It used to be when I was younger, I was pissed off at them for coming into my town. And as I get older, I'm more understanding of why they're here. And, um, you know, it's, it's for the same reason I'm here because it's a great place to be. Right. So let's talk about those early years. What did you do be, you know, as a, as a young child growing up, I mean, the possibilities up there are endless. So let's run through some of those things. Um, I think I did what most kids, you know, you got a bike and that was your first um, chance to have some freedom, you know, so you get a bicycle and um, mountain bikes, you know, back then, Rich, as you know, they weren't really what they are nowadays. So I had what would be <laughs> called a mountain bike, <laughs> but I really call it the today's standards. And um, so, you know, that was my first form of like transportation to kind of get out and start exploring. And then, you know, just slowly moved into dirt bikes. And, and, um, that was my main thing is riding dirt bikes through high school. Um, but like in terms of sports, believe it or not, um, I wasn't a skier and I, I skied up here, but I, I just wasn't very good. I just, wasn't, I didn't have the talent that, that everybody else has in this area. And so I didn't ski, but I, um, my favorite sport was baseball. And so that was basically what I did most of the time during the summer was playing baseball. Interesting. Okay. I figured, you know, I figured skiing would have been right up there at the top. Yeah. I, um, I, I just, you know, I, I was that skier who, you know, at the end of the year, they give you the most improved award, which means you really <laughs> suck and you got a little bit better. So that's, that's the award I got. <laughs> so I, I tell everybody I'm the oddest local that lives up here because there's, I've never skied squaw and I've never smoked pot. And so find another local that on the resume. <laughs> and I'd, uh, I don't have a problem with either one of them. <laughs> oh man, I basically spent my my youth growing up there at Squaw Valley in the winter time, and yeah, I can't say those two things. <laughs> you know what? I don't think you find another local who can. So or anybody that's been in this area. And like I said, I don't have an opinion on either one of them. I just uh, I was a terrible skier, and I was a fairly high prospect for baseball. So I just kind of stayed away from everything else. And, and, uh, so yeah, I, yeah, I honestly didn't ski up here. So you started playing baseball then in, you know, like little league and stuff. Yeah. Started playing little league. And then, um, you know, I, I found out I was uh, a fairly decent baseball player and our season's really, really short up here as you can imagine. And so my freshman year, my parents sent me to a uh, private school um, called Bishop Minogue in Reno. And we're not, not even a religious family, but a school known for excellence. And obviously Reno being about, you know, an hour away, 45 minutes away, uh, lower elevation, we had a longer uh, baseball season. So ended up going to high school down there where, where my baseball could be a little bit more of a priority. That's awesome. And so you went, that was all a high school? Yep. Okay. And uh, was that a like an all boys school or was it a a co-ed. No, it was co-ed. It was co-ed. Okay. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I was like, man, that would be a rough, rough way to grow <laughs> up. That, you know what? <laughs> Baseball was pretty important to me, but not that important. Not that important. An all boys school. <laughs> so, um, what did uh, what did your family do for fun up there? I mean, ride bikes. Um, you said motorcycles and stuff, but what about what about as a family? Um. You know, I think that the way I could just sum it up is just because of where we live. I mean, you're just basically from my parents' house. It wasn't like a, a you know, it wasn't like a super short walk to the beach, but you could just go down to the beach and hunt out during the beach during the summer. And um, I kind of, since we didn't ski, I mean, look, I shouldn't say that. We did ski, um, but just not, it's hard to say you're a skier when you live in the Tahoe area and you have somebody like, well, you know, Tom ways that moved from Pennsylvania out here to ski. Cause he was that good. So it's hard to say you're a good skier up here. Um, but you know, you name it. And that's what we're doing as a family recreationally. Right. Okay. Do you, uh, do you still partake in, in any of that? Um, yeah, going to the beach and, and going hiking and, and, uh, a little bit of mountain biking. Um, not, I still do dirt biking. Um, you know, okay. Jason share, I go, go dirt biking and, and so I still do those things. Okay. And sledding. Uh, oh, I still don't ski. <laughs> I've got two skis on the front of my snowmobile. And that's <laughs> the thing I do. <laughs> and you don't put your foot on those. <laughs> no. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's continue on in school. Um, what were you like as a student? Um, I, you, you mean like in terms of academically? Yeah. I, I did what was needed. Okay. <laughs> what Fair enough. Say. That's like, most of us. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I just kept that great point where it needed to be, um, especially when you got to your junior and senior year to, you know, as a, um, like I said, I was a, a fairly decent prospect for baseball. So I wanted to have college opportunities. And so, um, I wouldn't say I'm the most academic person. I, I actually really don't like school very much. And, um, my sister was the one who was, was definitely the academic one. So I, I did what I needed to do. Let's just put it that way. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> did you, uh, did you move on to play ball at college? I did. I, um, I started my sophomore year. I, I was, uh, scouted by Kansas city and, and signed a player's card in my sophomore year and was, was hoping to get drafted at the end of my senior year. It did not happen. Um, and I ended up going down to Sac state. Um, to play ball down there, um, kind of a long story, but that didn't last a super long time. And then I ended up going down to Modesto JC and playing ball down there for two years and, uh, basically just got to the end of two years and told my coach, if I didn't get drafted that year, I was going to move on. Right. And, uh, it wasn't good enough to get drafted that year. And, and so I, I moved on from baseball. Okay. And, uh, after, after that baseball kind of went away, um, what was the next, what was your next step? Oh, uh, you mean like sports wise or you mean like, uh, academically or like life or life? Yeah. So, um, I moved back up to the Tahoe area and I went to work for my parents who had a transportation business up at the time and just went to work full time for them. And what kind of transportation? Um, anything, but basically hauling freight there, I would say they're Big contract that time was Nap Auto Parts, and um, you know, for a company called well AT and T, which used to be called Pack Bell. But um, most of the drivers were out at at night making deliveries. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what kind of things? You know, you you said you you got done playing baseball. That was your primary thing, and you ro- rode motorcycles. 
Did you ever race motorcycles? No, no, no. Oh, uh, Jason and I entered a race one time, but we we really quickly realized that we didn't belong there. <laughs> <laughs> that was like ninety miles of pure torture. But no, I never got into into racing any any motorcycles. And um, you know, and this kind of leads into I think the reason you and I are kind of having this talk. The reason we met was um, basically at the end of my high school and kind of beginning of college, that's when I started getting into off-roading and we have the, you know, the world famous Rubicon trail here. Right. And so, um, I originally started with the Willys and then, and then built a Bronco. And, uh, so that, I mean, honestly, Rich, like that's kind of became a lot of my focus from, for about 10 years was really just was doing a lot of four wheeling. And when, uh, if you don't mind me asking, when was the end of your, your ball playing years? What, about what time frame? Um, early twenties when I, when okay. I finished college, I went on to a, uh, you know, uh, uh, a team in Reno and played a little bit of hardball for them. And then, uh, just basically kind of, kind of left the sport, kind of lost interest. Okay. And when you were in Truckee going to school and stuff, um, what kind of vehicle did you drive then? What was the first vehicle you got to drive? Um, my very first vehicle was, um, uh, my dad gave me when I was 11 years old, and it was a, a 1960 F100 four by four. And I think I put a thousand miles on that truck going back and forth in my parents' driveway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and look, their driveway is only three cars long. <laughs> 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 and I would, I, you know, I'd have it like it was during the winter and I, I put it in two wheel drive and then I'd get it stuck in the snow. And I thought I was so cool. I'd have to get out and engage the hubs and put it in four wheel drive and, and, uh, and get it unstuck. And, um, after, when I got into high school, I ended up having a, a 79 GMC Jimmy okay. and, uh, of course it was, it was lifted. And then, uh, I think later in high school, I ended up having a, a Ford Ranger that I, you know, ended up jacking up in the air. Okay. And did you, uh, did you do, did you start wrenching on your own vehicles? I did. So, um, my parents owning a transportation business. They also own the, uh, the only taxi cab business that was, was here locally at that time. And so my dad, um, was always putting in engines in the taxis or replacing the clutches. And, and my dad is, um, just, I mean, really, truly a jack of all trades. And so I, I definitely learned, um, at, at early years, how to, how to work on stuff. And that, that played into obviously, uh, those beginning stages of, of going off-roading. Okay. And then your first time on the Rubicon, how old were you? Um, that was when I was 17 years old Okay, um, with, with a good friend of mine, Brian Dacus. And, uh, we took my dad's 1946 flat fender, 29 inch tires, open front and rear three speed with a flathead four in it and went by ourselves. Um, my dad had no idea. He, he kind of grew up, but didn't understand what the Rubicon had turned into since 1960 to 1989. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, that's the first time I'd ever gone in there. Um, yeah. Manual steering, manual brakes, open front and rear air down. I didn't, I don't think we even had an air chuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. And you went in, um, from the Tahoe side. Yeah. I went in the Tahoe side. Um, down to Rubicon Springs. Um, <laughs> one night, we, you know, just young and stupid, we decided to leave the springs and go all the way back out to Tahoma. 
And uh, it's the first time I had um, actually smoked a stogie and had a chew. And I decided to do both of them at the same time and proceeded to throw up everywhere and never did that again. <laughs> but that's, uh, I mean, to think about now, like you've been in the Rubicon, I, like we actually left our camp and drove all the way back out to Tahoe and all the way back in just in an afternoon for fun. That's, um, you know, I, that's, really that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. We just didn't know any different, you know, um, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> Did yeah. you carry tools with you guys? Um, we did have some tools. And uh, I think on that trip, if I remember correctly, ironically, we had brought an extra battery and um, and we ended up needing it. Uh, but that was, we didn't really have anything else. I, we didn't have spare parts like axles and drive shafts and stuff like that, that most of us carry now. You brought a spare battery. Were you having issues beforehand and just thought it was a good nope. idea or was one just nope. laying around and go, Hey, I might need uh, this. Uh, we were the only vehicle. We were just worried if we had a dead battery and okay. we, I know it's crazy to say, but we actually had a battery problem and had a battery to replace it. That's incredible. I, I know. We, I remember talking about it. Going, wow. That was a really crazy, crazy coincidence that we actually needed that. <laughs> yep. I, uh, I came into Tahoe dropped in to uh, to the Springs with uh, my daughter, and we were in a M38A A1 whatever the military CJ5. Yep. Fuel tank underneath the seat, all that kind of stuff. And we got down to the Springs, and I started smelling gas. And I thought, okay, you know, I got a line, a bad line somewhere or something. No, there was a screw had fallen down in next to the gas tank and it started to leak rubbed a hole into the gas can that gas tank oh, so wow. we were down in the springs i get it all pulled apart i'm trying to figure out how to luckily i had a five gallon can on the back i get it uh i don't even remember what i did to, to seal it but i got it all sealed and it was during the uh jeep jamboree usa one of those runs mark smith's runs and uh, we ended up staying down there, helping them with like the cook crew and that kind of stuff and just kind of fell in and then made the trip all the way back through to Placerville. But, uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you go on a trail like that. You, you don't. And um, it's been kind of my my speech to my son, um, who's 18 now, and he, he uses YouTube, which is a great resource to fix everything. But my point to him is we don't, we don't have YouTube when we're in the middle of the Rubicon. You, we, you just had to figure it out. Yep. So true. Yep. And yeah, and we did not have YouTube. <laughs> no. <laughs> YouTube was looking in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. If you had lucky enough to have one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, that's for sure where, where all that started for me. And I, you know, ended up um, meeting my, my my wife, and and she had never done anything like that, and she just ended up, you know, enjoying it also. And so, um, it really spent about at that solid ten years of our, our relationship, and ten to you know twenty to thirty, just back in the Rubicon and and Fordyce. Excellent. And where did you meet your wife? Was it was she a local as well? No, she was not. Um, we actually <laughs> met at a club in Sacramento. Oh, okay. Uh, which is a crazy scenario to, to be married this much later. I mean, we've been married now 20, 28 years and to have met at a club. She was going to UC Davis and uh, she was a freshman. Um, she was, you know, 18 years old when I met her. And, and um, a couple of weeks later, she was coming up to Tahoe. We went on a date and uh, the rest is history. Excellent. 
Excellent. And now an 18 year old. Yes. Off to, uh, we just shipped him off to San Diego state about four weeks ago. Excellent. Is he playing sports? No, he wasn't much of a sports, um, a kid at all. Like I, I honestly, I think he was six and I was trying to teach him how to play baseball. (laughs) I was like, Oh dear Lord, don't, don't ever throw anything in public again. It was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) He just didn't get that gene, but man, he is a, uh, uh, ironically, he is a fantastic, um, next level hip hop dancer, which is awesome. uh, Yeah. He is rich. It's blow your mind. He is a, a phenomenal dancer and he's, uh, really good on a mountain bike, which is another thing I'm not, I'm not very good at, but, um, you know, um, Jason Shear has been out with him quite a few times on a mountain bike and he's like, dude, he's, he's really good. So no, he never played ball sports, but okay. you know, he things he enjoys. Cool. So let's talk, let's talk some of the, the early rock crawling, um, you know, going four wheeling, going into the Rubicon four dice, that kind of thing. Um, you talked about the one friend that you went in with. Who are some of the others that you uh, you met while wheeling? Um, so just some locals that were up here. Uh, there was kind of a, a group of um, people that I had met locally in the in the Tahoe area that that had old Broncos, and that's kind of what reason I got into them. I think there was five or six old Broncos, and uh, it was a, a group of, of five or six of us that would, you know, I mean, honestly, we would we'd hit the trail at least two or three times a month during the summer. Um, sometimes just day trips going in on Sunday, but no, nobody that, um, nobody that you would know or anything like that. Just a couple, um, group of local guys. Okay. And then how did you, uh, how did you come across the rock crawling competitions? That was the Amador comp and okay. I, Chris Durham, <laughs> I swear I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Um, and of course, you probably remember back then, like there was no finesse in anything um, that man ever did. It was just put on an amazing show, and and I got hooked. I was like, I I want to do something like this. That's awesome that you were you came to the first event. That's yep, yep. You and about two thousand others, three thousand. Yeah, others. it was. It, <laughs> that was an amazing event, and then. I want to say I'm it's kind of so long ago, but I want to say my next event was Cougar Buttes. And, um, that's where I met our, our late friend, Phil Paziak. Um, he, his spotter got hurt and I didn't know Phil very well. And he's like, Hey, can you spot me? And, and so that was my, actually my first spotting gig was in Cougar Buttes being pulled out of the crowd, um, to come spot for him. And that's, I was that time when I actually got hooked on, on the competition aspect of, of off-roading. Okay, cool. I, uh, I didn't remember that that's, that, that, that process happened that way. Yeah. His, um, gosh, one spacing his name right now, but his, his spotter at the time got hurt. And then I think we placed like seventh and Phil was like, wow, never done this. Will you want to spot again? <laughs> and, and I think soon after we were at that, remember the, the Fernley yes. um, comp, basically some boulders laid on the side of that hill. Um, And I spotted for him there. And that's actually the first time I met Jason was at that competition in Fernley. Okay. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, that was an interesting event. That's, that's all I got to say about that one. (laughs) 
Throw some rocks and some dirt and see what happens. <laughs> exactly. On the side of a mountain. <laughs> yep. <laughs> in gullies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then um, let's talk about the rock crawling. You got started with spotting for Phil, and then eventually you started to drive too, didn't you? I did. Um, I can't remember exactly when it was, but, you know, there's only so much time you can spend there on the other end of the rope, and then you want to try and see if you're good enough. And um, that's when it was like the Rock West and Rock East. And and um, so I entered the, I think my first one was the Rock West. I'm, I'm not sure, positive of that, but um, I had bought a, a buggy online and, and it had portals. It was made by, by Factory Tubular Motorsports at that time, I think. And um, it had some Unimog portals underneath it. And that's the first time I got my hands in on on um, any sort of competition driving. Okay. And you competed at Donner, did you not? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, competed at Donner, and I can't remember all the comps, but yeah. Did you? Were you the one that had the big roll at Donner that went like three or four times over down the hill? Or was that somebody uh, else? Yes, your son actually cleared the area um, that's still on that's still on youtube i know for sure but it cleared the area that was kind of like a last minute decision um i was going to drive um derek trent's buggy in the x was it what is it, xrra i can't remember if that's extreme rock racing association right at the last minute derek's like hey why don't you take my buggy up there and, and to be honest it just it was such a badass rig for rock racing but really wasn't set up for those tight courses and yeah, I don't know. I just a little too much throttle and not being careful enough. And next thing I know, I was kind of rolled a couple times down the hill there. Yeah, it was very spectacular. Yeah, not so good for Derek's vehicle, which was absolutely terrible when you're driving somebody else's else's rig. But fortunately, nobody got hurt. And uh, yeah, it was a spectacular roll. And if I remember right, didn't you smash a finger at one of the events? Man, you are really, <laughs> I started, so there was a positive thing that happened at Donner too, Rich. Remember I pulled that wheelie on nitrous? <laughs> oh, we were going to get to that. <laughs> so I was like, wow, you keep bringing, I'm like, wow, I didn't have very good luck locally, did I? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, later I ended up spawning for Nick Campbell. And um, I went to throw down, a, I remember it was a big log. And I remember hitting my hand. And, um, then I went, ran up on the course, started getting Nick up there and I looked down and, um, one of your judges, like, I mean, my finger was split open to where you could see the bone. And, uh, when your judges like freaked out about the getting the medics, I'm like, no, 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 we got to finish the course. We're in first place. We can't, can't stop right now. And got Nick to the end and, um, the medics wouldn't, wouldn't bandage me up because they wouldn't let me back out on course if they bandaged me up, but I could bandage myself up and then go back out on course. So, um, we called my wife's a nurse. So we called the local doctor to see how much time um, I had till I lost my finger. And he said it was a good, at least five or six hours. And we only had a couple hours of comp left. So we, we finished that comp and took first and then rushed down. And I'll never forget because it was father's day. And, uh, the doctor that I knew actually, came in he wasn't on call he came in and and uh and stitched me up so i wouldn't lose my finger <laughs> so you still have the tip of your finger i still have the tip of my finger yep it doesn't look the same um and i know this jason Shearer has one that's identical almost <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like we're brothers but yeah it's all good now <laughs> let's talk about the the nitrous launch up the hill then 
Yeah, that was um, one of your events where um, I remember Dustin Webster actually doing the announcing and and we just needed a little intermission thing. And, and Tom and I weren't there. Tom Ways and I weren't there to actually compete. We were just there. I think we were doing recovery, if I remember correctly. And uh, got this harebrained idea to try and climb that that one wall in two-wheel drive. And, and honestly, I, I wish I could take credit for it, but I, I thought I'd hit the nitrous and smoke the rear tires. And BFGs being what they are, they just stuck. And it the nitrous just pulled my front tires off the ground and I held a wheelie all the way to the top of it and got out and the crowd went crazy and I acted like I planned the whole thing when <laughs> <laughs> a single part of it. <laughs> and that was uh that was a fun moment for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> oh. So then um let's let's talk about the disabled sports run that you, uh, yeah. that you put on and how that all came about. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. That's, um, definitely one of the things in my, in my life that I'm, I'm really proud of. Um, I got involved with disabled sports USA. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a very philanthropic family. My parents always doing something locally for somebody. And, um, as I, you know, progressed into an adult, my mom had suggested me going into that organization to help out. Um, they had a water ski program. We take people with disabilities, um, water skiing. And, um, as make a long story short, as I progressed through that program, um, they had been trying to get an OHB grant and, uh, and to take people with disabilities into the backcountry. And so we were able to, um, you know, kind of go to those meetings and get the grant for disabled sports and start that program. And it originally just started with day trips. And then eventually we ended up going into the trip you're probably referring to where we used to um, go for three days and two nights into the Rubicon. Right. It always happened during times where I looked like I was on the road, you know, putting on events or whatever, and never had a chance to go. And uh, always wanted to participate and help in that. And I wished I could have. But you guys ran into into some some issues with insurance or something, if I remember right. Yeah, ultimately, um, yeah, and I appreciate that. I always know you wanted to be involved, and um, you know your your son came and volunteered for it, and um, you know even Dave Cole had come at one time and volunteered for it. So we really reached pretty deep into the four wheel drive community, and and um, it really gave me an opportunity to show kind of the world who these people are that, that we're involved with, with the four wheel drive community and how they'll take their shirt off their back for anybody. And, um, it was, it was an incredible opportunity, but pretty much what happened. And, and I think you can kind of understand the, the scenario <clears throat> you're taking people with disabilities, um, into a, an area where there's no hospital. Um, there's no, you're going down Cadillac Hill and, um, if somebody were to get injured, the, the liability there is pretty high. And and you're already dealing with people who are on medications and things like that. And so finally, um, Disabled Sports just lost the insurance for the trip. And and that ended up uh, ending basically about a 20-year 20 um, 20-year run of that. Wow, that long. Wow. Yeah, I think the Rubicon trip, I want to say we were at year, oh gosh, 16 or 17. But, but Andrea and I had been... Um, you know, we, you know, helped create that program and ran that program for, for 20 years. Wow. Excellent. Excellent. And are you still involved with, with disabled sports USA? Is that, is that still a, a viable? Um, so they're, so now their name has changed. It's, uh, uh, their new name is the chief Tahoe and okay. I'm not 
currently involved, but I think that I will be venturing back into it. It's just more of a, a time situation with, you know, raising a, a child. And then, um, you know, that's, that's where your focus goes. And so now with him going off to college and, um, I think that, that both Andrew and I might, might venture back into that. Awesome. Let's talk about your wife a little bit. Yeah. So she's, uh, in the medical profession. I, I understand. Yep. She works in surgery. She's, uh, an RN in, uh, in surgery here at our local hospital. Excellent. And you guys have been married now, well, 20 20 some years? June 26, 1994 is when we got married. Okay, so 19 Look, I'm not looking at anything in this house, so you should be pretty proud of that. Just... That's that's awesome. Good job. <laughs> she will uh, be at least proud. I hope that's right. I'm going to have to after this interview go back and go, was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me know if it's not and I'll uh, edit it out. <laughs> you can edit it out. <laughs> so you won't get I, in trouble. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty confident. Ah, she would be mad. It'd be okay. Fine. That's so. good. So yeah, then, no, had a, yeah. a long, awesome marriage, and and um, yeah, excellent, excellent. And uh, let's okay. So we we talked about the rock crawling. We talked about disabled sports. Um, let's talk about let's talk about the the whole U four and how that all evolved. King yeah. Hammers and yeah, I think. Um, Probably, I mean, like where you and I spent most of our time getting to know each other better was when I, um, I actually went and spotted for Nick Campbell. Right. And all those We Rock trophies I have in my garage right now, which I don't have any room for anymore, um, is is me spotting for Nick. And so I did that for a couple of years in that pro mod. <clears throat> and then um, Jason had built, like you kind of, you probably kind of know the story on that. I mean, if not, I'm sure they can listen to the, the podcast that you have with Jason. Um, had built a pro mod car at the time with the Campbells and then um, asked me to come there in 2009, I guess it was, um, and go out there and try this King of the Hammers thing. And and that was my first time I'd ever been in a passenger navigating. Okay. Yeah. And how exciting was that? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's the most fun, right? Um, especially when you were somebody as talented as Jason driving, you know, you're just, you're really having a good time. And, you know, we'd never done anything like that. And the, the, the car was fast for then, but Oh my God, it was terrible. I thought, I thought my heart was going to rip off the inside of my chest. Like every hit we took hurt so bad. <laughs> Luckily the courses were shorter then. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I yeah. I've always kind of wanted to go back and run that. I thought it'd be really fun for Dave to create a, um, and, and it'd probably be too short now, but as to run exactly what we did in like 2009 and see how much faster our times are than, than that point in time. That would be like a one lap sprint of right. what they do now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the cars are, the cars have gone so crazy compared to what they were. I mean, they were trail cars, XRA or rock crawlers you know, with, with a higher gear set is all they were. Yep. Yep. No, we didn't have any clue what we were doing at all. <laughs> Matter of fact, I, we said it back then. Um, if a Jeep speed could have made it through the rocks, that would have smoked everybody who was out there with a tube chassis rig because they were so much faster in the whoops. We just didn't understand how to set it up or just taking a Polaris razor at that time. We were faster in the, in the razor than you would have been in our cars. Right. And probably more comfortable. 
and probably safer. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's a rumor that the first one to break 120 or 130 was Jason or the two oh, Jasons. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I thought you guys did that across one of the lake beds. No, we have gone that fast, but okay. I don't know that we were first to, to ever break that. But okay. I, don't, I don't know. That. No, we've done that multiple times. Um, but honestly, when that's happened, it's it's not usually during the race. When we've done that, it's usually we're out having fun um, during the race. The only reason we would be going that fast is if we needed to do that to, to try and win, obviously. Okay. Because so uh, during the race, you might play it a little safer. Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. You don't, you don't need to win by 10 minutes. You just need to win. Okay. And let's, let's talk about strategy. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the strategy race day for a KOH. What, uh, what is the strategy for you guys? Um, well, the, the, the strategy to start out is to qualify. Well, I don't, I don't know that we need to qualify as well as Jason has consecutively. Like he's, he's very, very good at that, but I'll be honest with you before we even go do that. It's usually like, Hey, you know, try and get a top 10, you know, be up there where there is too much dust. Um, but our strategy usually is to try and be up there in the front. And, um, you know, that's where Jason's car in the past has shined is in the desert. And we feel very, very comfortable out there. We spent a lot of time pre-running the desert sections at pretty fast pace and um, so I'll take that first lap and, and, you know, try and stay up there at the top. I've always like looked at it from starting positions and said, okay, you know, when it's, when backdoor going up backdoor is an option in the race, um, sometimes it come down, sometimes you guys go up, but going up of course is, is much more, um, you know, it's a game, it can be a game changer. Mm-hmm. So looking at it, you know, if it's first lap, or second lap. Um, I don't know if it was an, an option of one out of the three or not, but it's, uh, what do you, what do you guys think? What do you guys look at at that? Is it, I always thought myself that if it's open and clear, take it that first lap. Um, and I think you guys have done that a couple of times. And then there's other times where just like, no, we're going to wait till the end. What is there? Is there a conscious thought process on that? Oh, for sure. Um, I, I can tell you right now, I'm not, I, I think you could hold me to this. If we qualify in that top, that top, like five or six, we're not hitting it on the first lap. Not going to happen. Um, I want to get out there and get into that fresh air. Cause if you can get out front and have that fresh air, you will put time on people. And it's not just putting time on people. It's when you're in the dust, that's when mistakes happen. That's when you hit that rock or you hit that hole that ends up sending you tumbling. It is so much easier if you have, um, you know, clear air. Okay. That makes sense. So you put, just put the time on and get the car out there as far as you can ahead of most of the pack and then worry about hopefully the time that you do take the, the, that back door up, there's not a, a line of cars. And it could happen. Like, absolutely. You could be end up making the worst decision to make. Um, um, but typically in, you know, that race, there's so much attrition by the time you hit it, the second or third lap, probably 30% of the vehicles have already dropped out. There's okay. just yeah. less vehicles that might be in there, but, um, it, it could bite you in the butt too. You could get there and have 
you know, three or four vehicles deep and you're just sitting there waiting. Right. And what do you think of, uh, of the strategy of driving up and just automatically winching and not putting the car through the stress? That's what we do every time. Okay. And the only reason we wouldn't do that is if that's near like the last obstacle, maybe there's a half an hour left in the race. Like, I don't know how Dave would create something like that, but if it's, it's gotta be like, we got to pull this in one shot to win. Otherwise I'm getting out. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So what is it about KOH especially that is, do you think it's so attractive to everybody? Look, everybody wants to be a trophy truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> so Pistol Pete was right. I, Pistol Pete was right. Look, I don't care who you ask out there. They're still going to tell you they want to get in a, you know, a million dollar, you know, all-wheel drive trophy truck now. I mean, most of them now are kicking ass in Mason Motorsports trucks. Or, But, you know, it's just that level of really wanting to go fast. And I, I think that a lot of us, we saw it as kids. And then we saw what they were doing and we wanted to, to replicate that or duplicate that. Right. And and I think one of the things is, is that everybody, no matter how fast you are, you could be the fastest guy out there or you could be the slowest guy out there. You're still driving as fast as you're capable of or your vehicle is capable of. So it's fun. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, and that's exactly what it is. Um, you're whatever your capabilities are. And Jason and I have often said that people say, oh, you drive 110%. No, that's, that's dumb. You don't drive 110%. You drive what you're capable of driving, what your vehicle's capable of going to make sure that you don't wreck your vehicle and don't wreck yourself. Yeah, because you like like Sam Barry told me that the, before I even started um, taking over Vora, is I asked him, I said, okay, you know, what do I need to know about desert racing? And the first thing he told me was, you know, you have to finish first before you f first you 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 can't finish first unless you finish the race basically yes yes and uh so yeah that's uh that's true right. you, if you if you if you run the car at full throttle you're not gonna likely finish yeah i think it's in order to finish first you must first finish correct that's it yeah 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 and that play out every single year um you know <laughs> you see everybody come out of the gate man it's it's eight o'clock in the morning and that flag is dropping and it's just foot to the floor and a, a ton of mistakes are made. Um, that's honestly not how we run. I mean, it may seem like we're going really fast there in the beginning, but we are at, you know, talking at a very calm level and, and realize that we still got seven hours to go. Right. And so what's it like riding with Shannon in the UTV? Um, it's a blast because he can't see anything. <laughs> you mean because because of his vision, or you just can't yeah, see no, out the vehicle? I, his vision is terrible. But yes. look, I I mean, Rich, for me, you know, with Shannon, God, he's just a legend, and, and I don't know how else to put it. Like I, I remember when I first got into any of this stuff, I was like, oh my goodness, it's Shannon Campbell. And when I did that wheelie at Donner. That afternoon, he came up to me and said, hey, I want a poster of that, and I want a sign to put up in my shop. And I looked at my wife, I'm not making this up, and I said, I'm retiring right now. Shannon Campbell wants my autograph. <laughs> <laughs> that was 
And I was, I was like, oh my God. And then, um, you know, I just, that family, um, you know, they've been like my family and they've, they've treated me so well. And, and so you get in a, a vehicle like that. And I know Shannon seems like he's so crazy, but he really isn't. He's just a really, really good driver. And he knows there's certain things you got to do to win. And all that matters to Shannon is winning. And I, I think anybody that's at that level, when you realize that your sponsors aren't going to sponsor you if you come in last place, you know, Monster Energy is not going to sponsor you unless you're winning. And so there's a lot of pressure there. Right. But he's a blast to ride with. I mean, there's times where I got to yell at him to, to calm down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the tendency to sometimes lose the shit. But <laughs> no, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's honestly just an honor to get into that seat. It's an honor to see my name on the side of the car. I'm just always like, wow, this, you know, I'm riding with Shannon Campbell. It's amazing. So do you find yourself as a navigator being kind of a uh, psychologist during the race? I would say that's the main reason I'm in the car. I, I don't think that I read the GPS. As a matter of fact, I think there could be an argument that I'm terrible reading the GPS. Um, I think it's more of just the ability to stay very calm in very intense situations. That's, that's if I remember right, that's what uh, Shearer said. Yeah, I, um, I definitely just, I don't think it's anything I've worked on. I think it's just kind of a, a natural thing for me to, to be pretty calm when, when things are getting pretty crazy. And uh, how how long do you can see yourself doing it? Um, that's up to Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I'd, I'd love to be doing this in 10 years, you know, when I'm 61 years old. I'm 51 now. I'd still love to be doing it. Would we be um, competitive? I don't know. And I think that's where you start to probably not want to do it anymore. Like, I, once you've won, all that matters is winning again. You know, and I, I know I sound like such a, you know, excuse my language, but such a little bitch for being upset about second place because second place at KOH is absolutely amazing and something that anybody should be proud of. But once you've won, second place doesn't matter anymore. You want to win again. And so I think the only reason we would stop doing this is if we got to the point where we weren't competitive. Right. Okay. And, and look, that can happen. I, I actually think that um, Jason and I have this talk often the car is capable of going faster, but are we capable, especially him of processing, you know, the environment fast enough for that speed. And as you get older, you lose the ability to process that fast. Oh, I can attest to that. Yep. I can attest to that. I used to like going out, setting up the Vora courses, I would be drifting corners. I didn't care what I was driving. If it was the Cherokee or the one ton pickup, uh, the suburban, whatever. I would be drifting corners out there all the time. Now, I don't do that very often anymore. Yeah, it, it gets it gets harder. Yeah, you know? yeah. So let's let's talk about your uh, your business. What yeah, you do uh, for a living? <clears throat> well, I own a CrossFit gym, <laughs> right? And uh, it is something that I absolutely love, Rich. I, when I owned my transportation business, it was a great business and it, um, it, you know, it put a roof over my head and it put food on the table, but it also had an aspect of me being very stressed about, um, people that I had out on the road all night, you know, worried about them getting in accidents and getting injured. And, and then the next morning I had, you know, I had a great crew working for me, but the next morning I just got 
you know, manager of the auto parts store screaming at me on the phone. Where's their alternator? Where's my driver? And, you know, it just got, a, it got exhausting. And so I decided it wasn't the way I wanted to live my life anymore. And I, uh, I stopped doing that. And I really had no plans on opening a CrossFit gym. I was just a coach at a CrossFit gym. And, and, um, it's a long story again, but some things just didn't go right there. And I left that job. And then all the people that I had been coaching ended up coming to my garage at my house and, and working out here. And then I just recognized that I needed to open up my own gym. And so we did that for almost four and a half years ago. We opened up Dreamtown CrossFit. Wow. Okay. And then you have a, a partner that you do some product development and sales with? Um, you mean in terms of for, um, CrossFit. Like a, yeah. So, um, Chris Poblano and I, uh, teamed up a few years ago when we created a product called Wad Rod, which is a product for sanding your calluses. And, um, you know, it was one of those things. It was an idea that I had and, and Chris saw it and Chris is like, dude, like you ever need help or want a partner? I'm in. I'm like, that's what I need. I, I need somebody who, who works like he does. And you know, Chris, like he's a no excuses type person and, and, and get things done. And so we started that, oh, probably seven years ago, something like that. But kind of finding that neither one of us are really into retail. So <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I just like, man, I have a hard time just like trying to convince people that they, they need to buy my, my product. So I'm super proud of the invention, and it's very effective. And if I can get it into people's hands. Um, so basically what happens in CrossFit, you just get these huge calluses on your hands. <clears throat> and pretty soon, like – you know, you do a hundred and hundred pull-ups, all of a sudden they tear. And so the product was dying, designed to uh, be able to easily remove those calluses so that you wouldn't tear. Okay. Um, but, but once again, I, I, the, the problem with it is it's just something I'm selling. And what I love about what I do, Rich, is, and, and I'm not over-exaggerating this. I really, truly mean this at the bottom of my heart. I The people that I see every single day in my gym, and it's like, practically bringing tears to my eyes right now. They make me a better person. I absolutely love these people. They're my family. And so I've never had a job that has given me back way more than I think I'm ever putting in. And so I, it is, it is absolutely what I truly love. That's awesome. Yeah. They're, they're an amazing group of people. And, um, and then it's giving me my health. I, I think you knew, you definitely knew me when I was, you know, near 300 pounds and, and just, it just didn't have my health really in check. And, and, um, I had a time in my life where my, my son was young and I had to have my appendix removed and I was embarrassed about how bad I was going in. I just like, man, I got to pull it together. And, uh, I don't think CrossFit's for everybody. I think it's for anybody. Um, but it's definitely for me and, um, it's, it's giving my health back and it's, it's given me a, a community of, of people that I love. Excellent. That's, that is key. That is a key thing, an element of life is knowing what you love to do and, and why you do it. It is. And it's, um, I was very, very, not everybody has this opportunity, but I was very fortunate at the time that to sell my other business and not have to make what I was making because during COVID, um, I, I wasn't sure how we were going to make it at the gym. You know, as you know, that all got shut down right. and, um, it's, it's, it's that that community that that kept us alive during that. Um, not everybody has has that opportunity, so I'm I'm very very lucky to have been had that opportunity to make it through that. Excellent. 
So let's, uh, are you, are you still wheeling for, so I sold my Bronco this year. Okay. <laughs> um, not doing so much, not doing that much wheeling anymore. And I, I don't know that, um, I'll be out of it forever. It's just right now, the time, um, I'm not that interested in going back on the trail right now. Maybe it's just cause I've been on it so many times. Um, but yeah, not doing too much of that right now. Yeah. Even myself, I've gotten gotten into more of the scenic. Yep. I want to I want to go places and see things that I haven't seen before. Drive down those roads that I've always passed, and said, ah, "I wonder where that goes." I now make the turn to go down those. We're on the exact same page, and maybe that just has something to do with um, just getting older. I'm I'm not sure, or just I just. I know every rock on Fordyce. I know every rock on, on Rubicon and it's absolutely beautiful, but there's a stress involved with breaking down. There's a stress involved with seeing things that don't make me happy on the trail. That just puts me in a bad mood. And so we, we sold the Bronco and we have a 2005 Ford excursion. And so we're doing what you do. We, we roll the windows up and turn the AC on and we just go down some dirt roads and go find some pretty creeks or lakes that we've never been to and set up camp there. Awesome. So you haven't bought um, a Raptor and become part of the Raptoring group? <laughs> so um, I love my CrossFit business, but it doesn't give me a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty embarrassing if I told you what my W2 was last year. <laughs> so um, I I can't afford a Raptor. <laughs> I don't have one for man. I would love to have a Raptor. They are absolutely amazing. I don't know how I afforded one, except that I bought an old one. There and, you go. Uh, you know, it, it was from a friend that gave me a great deal. <laughs> yep. No, you know, it's aren't they amazing? I, when they first came out, and I think that most everybody thought this was, you know, what a joke. It's just going to be people with money that buy these and don't have, you know, any understanding of, of truly what that vehicle's capable of. And then uh, it's, it's not that case. I mean, the people who are driving him are the off-road you know, enthusiasts of the world that are taking it out and testing those trucks. I mean, um, I, I'm not, you probably know this, but I had the opportunity for to go race the Bronco R with Jason and the Baja 1000. Right. Um, you know, what an amazing opportunity. And we had, you know, Ford gave us, I don't remember what it was. I don't know what Cameron figured out. It was like, like five to seven Raptors. And you, you run those things in Baja pre-running for a thousand miles. And, you know, you don't have any problems with them and you're just, you just, they're an amazingly capable vehicle. Very true. Very true. When they first came out, I just was like, man, someday I'm going to get me a Raptor. And then, uh, between me and, uh, Josh Jackson, he was selling his and I contacted him and he told me, well, for you, I'll sell it at this price. And I'm (laughs) like, okay, cool. So then it was, how do we convince Shelly that we need a Raptor. <laughs> Give her a ride in one and you convince her. <laughs> oh, that's what we did. We, we gave yep. her rides. Um, when we were, we were racing, putting on a dirt riot race out at Colorado Springs. And that's where Josh lived and he, uh, and has his business. And he every day would come out and we'd go to lunch or dinner. And then we went out to the races. There was circle track racing and some other guys came along and they were in a one-ton dually, and the road going out there, you know, it's back highway, and then it's like a two-mile dirt road up to the racetrack, and there's just these big potholes and everything, just like typical racetracks. 
And the guys that got out of the one ton were like, man, that road was rough. And Shelly looked at him and goes, what road was rough? Yeah. And, you know, because we rode in and, and the Raptor and the next, I think it was the next day, she goes, so how much did Josh want for that? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And supposedly, at least from what Jason says, that new Raptor R is just absolutely insane. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine they give it, you know, 700 horsepower. Yep, exactly. So what next for Jason Berger and family? Um, so that's a great question. I mean, right now, um, you know, we're an empty nest. We only had one child. And so, you know, you, the last 18 years of our life, and, and you went through this, you know, is, is raising a human being and then putting them off into the world and, and hoping you gave them all the tools to be successful. And then now it's more of, um, you know, my wife getting to know me again and me getting to know my wife again and, and, you know, see where that leads and, and how much fun that is rekindling that relationship. And, um, you know, in terms of the home front, that's what's going on in terms of my businesses and everything. I mean, look, <clears throat> you probably saw that, you know, Jason sold the car that we've been driving. So obviously we're going to keep racing. So that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's some stuff in the works. Um, and then I, I love my CrossFit business, so I don't, I don't really have plans for any changes. My, you know, Rich, my, my life is really good and I'm, I'm really happy with it. So I don't, I don't really have any big changes on the horizon. Cool. I get um, it. And you're, you're 51 now. I'm 51. Yeah. Still way past that. Still, now. still a young man. <laughs> still a young man. <laughs> I feel young. Perfect. But. There's certain parts of my body. I'm like, what's, what's going on with my hair and things like that? That doesn't make me seem very young anymore. <laughs> well, just remember, you never lose your hair. It just migrates. Yes. As you yes. get older, you'll go, I never had this hairy back or shoulders or whatever. And all of a sudden you get them, you know, yeah, hair I'm growing not, out of your ears. What is that? You know? yeah. <laughs> well, You're probably too young for that still. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and we'll see what happens. It, it's kind of funny um, having a, you know, a son and all of his friends are like growing mustaches and beards. And I see him like lifting his lip up, trying to see if he can see any hair on his lip at 18. <laughs> and I'm like, son, you don't, you don't have a hairy dad. I'm sorry. I don't know what you're going to do. Like it took me two weeks to grow any sort of beard. Like that even shows like I need to shave. So <laughs> what I'm hoping is that what you've run into, because I'm not a hairy person, I'm not going to get that hairy back. <laughs> but you're probably, you're probably right. And then when you get older, it just becomes silver anyway. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, more distinguished. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, let's talk about that Baja a little bit. And uh, yeah. what was, what was that experience like? Oh my goodness. I mean, bucket list for me, Rich. And, you know, I just, I'm so thankful. Um, and I just love him dearly. He's just my very best friend is Jason. And he's given me just truly the most amazing memories of my life. And that experience, I've always wanted to do the Baja 1000, but honestly, I'm just, I'm just kind of a wimp, Rich. Like when it comes to going down to Baja, I, I grew up in a small town and I'll be honest, I'm just scared. I don't, I don't have like these worldly skills that like 
like, I don't know, somebody like Tom Ways would have. And um, so I was really nervous going down there. I needed a really good reason. And I've always been a Bronco fan. And so when I had the opportunity to go down there and ride with Jason and we were in a Bronco, it just, it, it just made a lot of sense. You know, the box is starting to get checked as it, it being something I wanted to do. And, um, you know, one thing I didn't say about my wife earlier is just, I have a lot of crazy ideas in, in my life and things I want to do. And, and she's just always so like unbelievably amazing support, amazingly supportive. It's never saying no. And she really didn't want me to go to Baja because she was just worried about the whole thing. And she didn't say it once to me. You know, she said, go down there and, uh, and you know, have this amazing experience. And so it, it, it truly was. I mean, it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to um, in terms of Jason and I got through our section. But unfortunately, the Bronco R didn't finish that year. So it didn't turn out quite the way we wanted. But that's Baja, right? Yes. Sometimes, sometimes it just eats you up. Baja can be very unforgiving. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah, it, it, can. It, it can, and it not necessarily be a vehicle issue. It cannot necessarily be a team issue or, you know, driver, navigator. Um, there's just so much that can happen down there that you just never know. Yeah, exactly. It, um, you know, and I, I, I don't know if, if Jason talked about it on his, I mean, I doubt he would have, but because he doesn't like to put himself in the in the spotlight or limelight like that. But originally, I was not supposed to be there. That that team is supposed to be a team of people who are well known and have established themselves in the off road industry. Matter of fact, when we went out to dinner the first night, they're like, "Hey, my name is Cameron Steele. I've won the Baja 1000." And you know, here's Jason, and it gets to me, and I'm like, I'm my name is Jason Berger. You have zero reason to know who I am. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't have all those accolades that all those people did. But what happened was they wanted uh, Ricky Brayback, is that his last name? Right. To ride Jason um, because he's this amazing dirt bike rider um, that Johnny Campbell, you know, has mentored and, and coached along the way. And Jason said, look, I, I want my best friend in the, in the car with me. Um, that's who I want in the seat. And so, you know, he kind of put his foot down and, and made that dream a, a reality for me. And um, I, you know, when I got down the rich and I like got handed this bag from Ford and, you know, with my name on it and just, I, you know, it, it was absolutely amazing. And you guys, you guys went down there and pre-ran and then um, did you, did you do that all at once and then go right into the race or did you go down pre-run, come back? go down for the race. How did that, how did that work out? Uh, we went down and pre-ran and then came back and then, and then went down to race. So we were in San Felipe was that section that we had. Okay. And that was, that was a loop race though, wasn't it? Or was that uh, point was. point? Okay. Yep. No, it was a loop race. All right. Yeah. And I think we were the, were we the fourth people? We were after, we were after Brad. Brad had it before us and then handed it off to us. And, and, you know, that's just any new vehicle blues, right? It's just a lot of people with their hands in it and trying to make that thing come together at the last minute. And the, and the car just truly wasn't, didn't have enough test time on it. And once we hit about, I think it was about 800 miles is where we're at. We just finally had to call it. It just, it just wasn't going to make it to the end. Right. Yeah. That's a shame, but you know, you guys, you, you, it was a hell of an effort. Hell of an effort. 
It was. We were not driving the fastest we could drive. <laughs> the car was. It was really trying to get it to the end, and and unfortunately, just like I said, it didn't make it. You know, we ended up handing it off to Shelby after us, and and she did a great job too. But the car just kept falling apart, more falling apart along the way. And it's there's you know, it just got to the point where meeting the the deadlines for your checkpoints, it, it wasn't going to happen anymore. But all that being said, it's it's not the result, but but my goodness, for me, it was the most amazing experience in my life. It really, truly was. And what else, what did you think of Baja once you got down there, besides the racing? The, what was, what was it like once you got down there? Was it, was it what you imagined or, you know, what about it? So I had been down there before. Um, I went down there in 2006 with John Hara. Okay. And that's kind of like, I don't know if JT talked about it. I'm pretty sure you talked to JT on, on one of your podcasts. Yes. But that's when um, I brought JT with me down there. And that's when JT kind of, um, after that trip, kind of worked his way into, um, you know, being part of Harris' team and, and doing a lot of the Baja stuff. And I, I took JT and I took Tom Ways for two very good reasons. Because I'm a wimp and I was scared to go to Baja. <laughs> and I wanted those two guys by my side. And I am not kidding when I say that. Like, I felt like I needed those type of people around me to teach me um, what Baja was all about. So what I'm getting at is I, I had been down there before. And to me, it is so crazy how absolutely beautiful Baja is when there's so many reasons not to be beautiful. And I mean like trash being everywhere, right? Like you're just like, oh man, there's trash all over the streets, there's trash all over the beach. And But then you just sit on the beach and you're like, man, this is might be one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in the world. Right. Um, and it's, I think it's hard to explain until people get down there. And I, I really want to take my wife down there. Um, I just, I get nervous and I don't know if Jason said it in his, his podcast, but we like, we had a, a pretty gnarly situation. They, they closed down the road to stop us with military vehicles. And there was no less than 16 machine guns pointed at our truck. And we were pulled out of the vehicles with guns pointed at us. Pre-running uh, or during the race? No, it was pre-running. Okay. We were in the, we were in the, the Raptor and typical shear situation. Like there's, there's military coming down the side of the road towards us. And we're both like, Oh wow, somebody's in trouble. And, uh, and all of a sudden that flatbed truck, you know, pulls in front of us and, and, you know, Jason's like, screw these guys. And like, goes to go around them. And I'm like, Chase, dude, I think they're after us. Like, I think we better stop. And, uh, and so they stopped us, they closed down the road and, and supposedly it was a mistaken identity thing. Supposedly they thought we were running, you know, guns and drugs down the coast. And that was the description of the vehicle that we had. And I actually truly think that that was what it was. Cause I had money like hidden in different places and they searched all my stuff and they didn't take any of that. And so I, I, but there was a moment, Rich, where I was like, well, that might be, be some pee in my pants right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, but no, honestly, like I was sitting there with my hands on the front of the truck thinking, okay, so the truck's not registered to us. It has Detroit plates. It's registered to Ford. Hopefully Ford is going to get us out of jail. Um, and hopefully everything will be okay. And ended up being, being a no big deal. But yeah, that was when we were down there pre-running. And then we went down there for the race. 
totally uneventful time of my life being in San Felipe on the beach. Uh, it's like I said, I, I don't think you can explain it until, and I know you've been down there many times, but until you go experience it, there's, there's a certain beauty of Baja that's, that's unmatched. Oh, I agree. And, and to me, it's, you know, once you get out, out of the border towns, the people, I mean, even most of the people in the border towns are, are fantastic. You know, there's that element that's, that's not, um, especially along the border because, you know, they can, they can prey on those American tourists or whatever. Um, but you know, that's why I always go in through Takati, but it's, uh, it's just a, you know, the, the people down there are just, are so much different than anywhere here in the United States. And they how, are. how welcoming they can be. And, and you nailed it. Like you get out of the touristy areas. Like I would say that um, when we went down in 2006, my favorite place, I, I like Laredo a lot too, but that was still pretty populated. Um, but I loved Bay of LA. Bay of LA, they didn't, at least in 2006, they didn't even have power in that town. So when the generator shut off, it was just dead silent, no lights, sitting on the beach. And it was the quietest quiet. The only other time in my life where I hear something that quiet is when I get up at 4.30 in the morning and we have had two feet of snow fall in Truckee and it's dead silent. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not something you experience very often in today's world. True. True. There's a little stretch of beach called Buenaventura down there that, uh, I absolutely love that little spit of, of beach. But so, uh, great. Um, is there anything that we've not talked about that you can think of? No, I don't know. You you did your homework. I was I kind of forgot about all the Donner stuff. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no, certain things I remember. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And look, Rich, I oh man, you know, thank you for everything you've done because some of the I mean, look, Jason, as close as I am to him. And uh, the relationship I have with so many people are just because of something that you created and, and kind of brought us all together. And they become lifelong friends because of um, just this little competition you, you decided to put together. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, no worries. I, I've always figured that that's my legacy. Yep. You know, I, and it that's and that is awesome for me to think of that like that, you know, so. I, I really have these people in my life because because of your harebrained idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, I want to say thank you so much for for spending the time and uh, and talking about your life and and the stories were awesome, and I really appreciate it. And it was good to get caught up with you again. And I want to say thank you for being in my life. Thank you, Rich. It was an honor to be on your show, and I, I sure appreciate your time. All right. I'll talk to you later. You take care and, and say hello to the family. I will. Thank All you, right. Rich. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you would think would be a great guest please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, 
Live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.